just before you started the session, someone was asking me about the best book to read about life of Shirobinda and the mother. This is the book. The first passage that Narad read, which is one of the most magnificent description of the mother in her embodiment. And the second passage, just a little brief glimpse of Shirobinda's life in the persona of Ashwapati. The human in him paced with the divine. <clears throat> the appearance of Savitri in our own times is itself an indication and a proof of the mother's luminous words that never for an instant vacillate in the belief that the work undertaken by Shirobindo is not going to end in a success. The only thing that is left undecided is the time factor. We can make the event probably come a little closer, we can push it further. There was one more thing which at one point of time seemed to have been left in the balance was whether the human species will be the bridge towards the future or something else has to arise and be the bridge. For that is really the role of humanity. By nature, man is a transitional being, which is indicated by the fact that of all these species that we know so far, man is the only one who has never quite found his law of being till now. For every species, we may almost say that this is the predictable pattern of behavior and but man till date has never quite found the perfect harmony with his environment, whether physical, psychological. This itself is an indication that man is a product in the making. He is not a finished product. He is simply a passage for the force that has built the worlds towards a greater being and a greater becoming. This is the vision of Shirobindo. Not very comforting to us if we cling to our humanness, but extremely comforting to us if we look towards our own future. It's quite natural that we as human beings suffer from a certain disease, which is called as the disease of superiority complex. <laughs> <laughs> Inferiority complex is also a disease, superiority is a, sometimes a worse disease. It comes almost naturally by the very fact of being born as a human being. 
we begin to believe that we are the best, we are the highest, we rule the earth, the earth is meant for our use and abuse and misuse. We begin to believe that everything that the Creator has created, it's not the best of ways to put it because Creator has not created something other than Himself. It is He who has become the creation. But as if He made all these things to please human beings. And all the past creations were simply being created so that when human beings come, they would be the Lord and the Master to enjoy all the things that have been created so far. We suffer from this great disease, this great illusion. And therefore all our attempts to restructure human life are essentially, if we go to the bottom of it, are if we may say anthropocentric, keeping man at the center of the universe and wanting things to become better so that man's personal interest, his narrow egoistic enjoyments, or as Shirobindo puts it uh, in inverted commas, paraphrasing Dilip Kumar Rai, his rich egoistic life can be served. If you really look at many of the reforms that come into play are centered around this one thought. And that is why it fails because there is a fundamental error in that. We cannot even be sure whether actually human beings are really as superior as we believe ourselves to be. In one of the passing uh, Shervindo's one-liners, he says cats are very close to human beings. The difference is only in some details. We, we have a great pride of the intellect. It's natural. We are born like that. We believe that we have tamed the wind and the air and the sun. The only thing left is now to, is to tame God, if God exists at all. And he too can be made a servant of our desires. This is the gospel of Harinya Kashyap. We were speaking the other day, there are two gospels in this earth. The gospel of Harinya Kashyap and the gospel of Prahlad. So this is the gospel. In Savitri there is a detailed description of when Shabinda speaks of the triple soul forces. That this world has always been, every force that has been released into this world by the great creatrix consciousness which is behind and enveloping everything, entering into every processes. And there have been two responses to this. One is the response of the gods. We spoke of the depths in which there is a complex play of forces. And what we see on the surface is nothing but the froth and form. The much that happens escapes. Even our own sight. We read this line which Narad just read. The motives, he knew the motives that men hide from their own sight. The mother says uh, something very similar that most human beings are not even aware of what is going on in their own depths. 
And then she says, and except for that which is going on in their own depths, much of it is not true. It's amazing. <laughs> we don't know. We don't know even about ourselves. What is going on in our own depths? What is going on in the depths of the egg? The formation of a chick. What is going on in the depths of a caterpillar? The formation of a butterfly. What is going on in the depths of a monkey who is restless all the time? Probably a mind is striving to be born and the brain is not ready to receive it. Monkey doesn't even know that I am only a foreigner. So same way human beings are the forerunner of something else, something higher, something greater, something more beautiful. And the logic of it is very, very simple. Actually, sometimes when we let things pass through the mind, they become very complex, something which is very simple and direct. The logic of it is that if there is a divine behind this world, and the world is a projection of him, then there is no other choice but for this world to become divine. There is, it's, it's, the logic is very simple. Because if it is a projection of that consciousness which is truth, power, delight, consciousness, then every element would inevitably, because that is the secret pressure of things from behind. It is bound to recover its own truth, its own bliss, its own perfection because that is behind the root of things. But when we begin to debate and discuss it becomes a difficult proposition. The mother says in one of her passages that there would be three approaches to the supramental life. One is the intellectual, the second is the occult and the third is the psychic feeling. And he says the intellectual approach believes that because Shabdhas use the word supramental, it is just next to the mind. It's you know just next door. But what Narada was reading that there are levels and levels, higher mind, illumined mind, intuitive mind. It's not easy even to touch just the layer before beyond us. Those who have entered the territories of the higher mind have felt such splendor. That they are content to be there. Yesterday, Shadalu was trying to point out that there are levels and levels. There are masters and masters and there are levels and levels. There are different kinds of doors. A person who is well in the intuitive mind may well take his experiences to be ultimate. That is how the problem comes. But Shurabindo goes further and further till he touches the last bedrock. And what is the sign of this last bedrock? He has so beautifully given the sign where world and self grow true and one. This is the sign. Because as long as there is a schism between the world and the divine, as long as even at the highest plane of the overmind, we just had that touch which reminded me of another line from the Gita which about the fleeting, that sorrow and pain breeding, that line from Shakespeare, how sorrow and pain feeds 
life here, reminded of that line from the Gita, Anityam Asukham Lokam Bhajasvamam. This transient, unhappy world, even from there, the schism is there. But how this the sign that one has touched the bedrock is that the world and self grow true and one. Because there are no two realities. Eventually there is one truth and again it stands to the logic of thing. Only it's one in a sense, it must become one in all its details. This is the whole journey of life. And it's not a question of why it should or whether it should. It's a secret compulsion. The divine is not using logic to manifest this universe. But when we go through the intellect, we are lost in a maze. This is a very interesting poem of Sri The Discoveries of Science, where he says, How shall ascending nature near its goal? Ascending nature is going further and further. How shall it near its goal? Not by man's tardy, stumbling intellect. Patient all forms and powers to dissect. By its nature the mind you know, keeps <laughs> probing in a way. Because its nature is division. The only way it can understand things is by division. Patient all forms and powers to dissect. But by the surer vision of his soul. But that is one approach. The second is the occult, which is again has its dangers. Because occult is again a very vast field of forces. When we go into the depth and these forces are far too complex than human nature. In fact, they can literally use human nature like puppets and human beings don't even realize that they are being used. When we read Savitri, we just read a little bit the other day of the description of some of these forces and they can almost, they are capable of doing anything if human beings, and we are not conscious, it can mimic the light. There is a passage where we read the other day about terrorism, which is a very obvious and gross phenomena of this darkness. There is another phenomena by which the darkness acts. In the same canto, the world of falsehood, Shurabindo describes, the fiend was there, but cloaked in light. He seemed a helping angel from the skies. An air of prophecy felt and a ruse. He surprised the elect with his holy lore. Armed with the scripture and the law, his rigorous logic made the false seem true. And when the warning whisper rose, he lulled the ears with dulcet tones and gave a lavish sense to power and joy. Freedom, he cried, but true freedom was always hunted down. It's amazing how falsehood can mimic a truth. There was a lie and lie a truth. So human beings simply become puppets. And mother has given so many instances of how we do not know. So occult has its own danger, but some people will try. Even science is a kind of occultism. It's a modern science has already stepped into the territory of the occult. It is beginning to touch those forces whose further end it does not even know, it doesn't have in sight. 
and there is a third approach which mother says the fastest approach like a flower answering to the sun is through a certain psychic feeling this is striving to be born mind and life and body have had their role to play they have tried and retried and retried now if we keep trying with the mind it'll only be recycling the old product nothing new will come we'll have a recycled product and okay fine we'll have the same it's like fashion you know you see old time there was a way of dressing and then you know things changed completely now after some time you have a new way of dressing which is much like the old you know things come back because mind has its limited it moves within a circle it may be a big circle very big circle and it can well give an illusion that one is moving further but beyond the limit it turns back because that is a circle it is the limit mind reaches its limit and then begins to turn to really be of help it has to pierce through and go beyond itself it's very difficult for the mind to do it because it's a great leap there's a big chasm between the human mind and the other mind or the supramental in savitri shirobindo has tremendous sense of humor and savitri uh, i have a wish sometimes to just compile the subtle humor from savitri and one place shirobindo describes all that man has done he has drawn the diameter of infinity he has psychoanalyzed the self he has measured everything in terms of number and form and when he has done that all his knowledge is covered by a knot i can read out these lines which are uh, why because uh, you know there are so many ways by which we are trying to solve the mystery of life and the problem but why it doesn't work out and it's not supposed to work out like that yes so this nothing our mind's knowledge is in the present is nothing compared to what may come mind's knowledge overtop the omniscience power this is sharing those humor mind's knowledge overtopped the omniscience power human mind oh i know everything the eternals winging eagle pusances surprised in their untracked empyrean each mysteried god forced to revealing form assigned his subtle moves in nature's game zigzagged at the gesture of a chess player will in the wide sequence of necessity steps predicted every act and thought of god the human mind in its high reaches can really believe that it can predict every act and thought of god but we know that it's the hour of the unexpected and it doesn't work out its values weighed by the accountant mind checked in his mathematized omnipotence lost its divine aspect of miracle and was a figure in a cosmic sum 
See, one of the problems of the mind is it wants to have certainty and predictability. But if you want to know how limited our mind is, we have to only do a, just a little introspection. With all the technology at our disposal, with all the knowledge, political power, money power, all kinds of power at our disposal, can any of us say with a certainty next moment what's going to happen? Not in the cosmos, just about our own self. With certainty. We can take it with faith, but not with certainty. And we discuss about, you know, what's going to happen in Middle East crisis and what's going to happen in the United States of America and how which way China will go. Where are we? We don't know what's going to meet us when we step out of this room. This is our state of ignorance. We don't know whether the crow will fly this way or that way. Looking just at that, we can't even predict the weather. Forget about other things. This is the colossal ignorance in which we live. And yet, we believe we can understand everything from the divine mystery, etc. The only way to understand is to rise into those heights. There is no second way. But here Shivinda says, Lost, forgotten was her eyelashes, dream print, carrying on their curve infinities, dreams, lost the alluring marvel of her eyes. They bound to a theorem of ordered beats her deep designs, which from herself she had veiled. For the birth and death of the worlds, they fixed a date. Given mind fixed. It was born then. There was some time back a uh, great this thing that 1999 the world is going to end and then you know there are other predictions that in 2000 something the world is going to end, the meteor will strike or this will strike. So Shrivind is telling us for the birth and death of the worlds they fixed a date. The diameter of infinity was drawn. Only the master can write like this. Measure the distant arc of unseen heights and visualized the plumbless, viewless depths till all seemed known that in all time could be. This, after reaching this state, all was coerced by number, name and form. Nothing was left untold, incalculable, yet was their wisdom circled with a knot. This comes the punchline. Yet was their wisdom circled with a knot. For nothing can be known till the all is known. This is the secret. Even if you know everything, about everything, that little piece, there is a very interesting question that Sri raises in one of his letters. Even you cannot know, truly know, even water or rose, till you know God. This is very interesting. What is water? One will say molecules of hydrogen and oxygen coming together. Okay, so they come together. Why do they create something which in its properties and, you know, experiences water? We don't know. There is something which is there, which we don't know. And unless we know it, we cannot know anything about anything. Avigyatam tasme yasmin vigyati vigyati sarvam. Only when that is known, all can be known. Truths they could find and hold, but not the one truth. 
by knowing too much, they missed the whole to be known. <laughs> the fathomless heart of the world was left unguessed and the transcendent kept his secrecy. There is a heart of the world. This heart throbs with love, light, oneness. And this heart is expressing itself. We are nothing but cells of this great cosmic being, each of us. And if we function well, we help in the totality. Someone was asking the other day, they was asking about the collective yoga. Why this process of change has to be collective? Why not individual? Escape can be individual. Because you are coming out of the law realm of nature and its possibilities and casting oneself out into the unmanifest. But change has to be collective. Because no human being, however great he may be, however complex he may be, he represents only one law as a representation. And this one law is interconnected with other laws. So there has to be a minimum number of human beings representing the totality or they reconstruct the different aspects and if they come together and undergo a change, then nature here changes because it's a change of nature and not a freak event. There have been instances where people by the power of the vital have preserved the body for 100-200 years. Shradhalu, I think in great detail he was explaining that. That's not the supramental transformation. The body's law remains the change. Same, the moment we withdraw it, it decays and disintegrates. Its fundamental law doesn't change. So there has to be a group of humanity. So this group is such that each human being represents a cell of this vast body of the one divine, the Virat Purusha, the universe is regarded as his outer body. And this representative sample, if that together undergoes a certain degree of change, then we cross the threshold and the transition. So this transition from man to the next level, and that is why the importance of each individual, it's like if one organ system if in my body is not working well, it affects everything and everybody else. The heart cannot say, I am fine. The kidneys can pack up. There is no problem. If the kidneys pack up, the heart begins to pack up. Even if skin begins to create a problem, eventually it affects everything else at some point. Of course, certain organs are more vital and crucial. So certain tendencies and traits are more vital and crucial in human nature than some others. But this change and this passage that Shurabindu speaks of has to be by its nature a collective process. Of course, by collective it doesn't mean simply getting together. It simply means that a certain representative number of human beings have to together will in a collective and ardent aspiration for this change. It is not going to happen just like that. It's not a, just a magic formula. And... In this there is a constant change. What is the change? Certain cells of my body grow old, they wear off, some other cells come and take its place. Now these cells 
are different and yet from a representative point of view they are the same. This is another interesting point. That supposing in a particular tendency or an aspect work has been done to a point, beyond a point this human form or formation is not able to support the work further. It moves out, gives way to another being very interestingly who represents a similar but more open takes a step forward. So it's like each person who does a little victory facilitates for the others to come. So this yoga is very interesting because it goes forward with each new group which is coming and that at least uh, I don't know for, about others but I have felt it very distinctly. Mother says in one of our uh, conversations with, uh, I think it is with Huta, that my, my child, the children who are going to come in the future, they will love me much more. And Shurabinda in one of his early writings reiterates something which Paramahansa Ramakrishna has foreseen that I see such a flood of spirituality which is going to enter this land that even children, young children will attain realization very soon. And Shurabindu says, yes, he, he says when I was in the prison I could realize that yes, this is going to be true. So, instead of losing hope, every new generation which is coming, and it's amazing, I mean, we can, yesterday or day before, I had a very uh, small, I mean, how, uh, we should not be actually speaking, these children should be speaking. I was quietly eating apple in a corner because, you know, everybody was busy with something or the other. And suddenly, three children walked in, and the youngest of them asked me, you are alone? I said, no, I'm with you. So, you know, because he had come. <laughs> he said, no, I've just come. You're alone? I said, no. Then I just, you know, played a little bit. I'm with God. Then suddenly this child says, oh, the God in the heart, in all of us. <laughs> He's somewhere around here. Later on when I was recounting, he was saying that, what did I say? I, he may, must have forgotten so spontaneous. I said, all this nonsense I have been talking last two days. <laughs> this boy knows. This boy knows, has the knowledge which I took, uh, God knows, so many years just to um, understand, then to experience and realize. This boy at seven, eight, I don't know what's his age. Four. four. <laughs> this fellow knows. His name is Satya. Satya. True to his name. I said, what is this kind of knowledge? And mother used to play this game with children. She would ask suddenly, do you want the super mind? No knowledge, nothing. Suddenly she would ask a child, do you want the super mind? Yes. They don't even know. Because she was bypassing through all these layers. This tremendous work. In fact, when she speaks about the supramental effect, she says very interesting things. One, an increase in the number of apparently mad people. What an effect of the supermind. <laughs> we don't realize our sanity is actually an imbalance. People who are very sane are the most difficult people. Talk to them about divine and higher, they will immediately label you, brand you, you. 
you know, stay away. Are you coming from home conference? <laughs> After a few days the effect will wear off. Come back to your senses. Think rationally. Look, this is pending, that is pending, do this. Forget about all this, this is your private problem. Or see a psychiatrist. I'm that way a little lucky. They feel hesitant to tell me right away, you know, because... I am used to sitting on the other side as a psychiatrist. <laughs> but I am sure secretly they must be murmuring. Who cares? But the point is that this kind of a thing which is happening in today's world, so-called confusion, chaos, is actually is the anguish for the birth of a new world. And these tendencies are expressing themselves in various ways. Increase in the number of illnesses. This of course is the negative way because of the resistance. But the second thing mother says something very interesting that there will be an increase in the number of child prodigies. Believe it? Watch Indian Idol. Little champs program that comes in India. I am sure something may be coming here. I don't know. So I am just giving the reference in the Indian context. Six year old Seven-year-old children, when they dance, they bring emotions which actually, I wonder how this child knows this emotion. It's impossible for this child to experience this emotion. And the child brings not only the steps but the emotion with a perfection which is unimaginable. The sense of humor they bring, the voice quality. I mean, in um, people talk of their old times when they had one Kishore Kumar and Lata and things like that. And today every child seems to be better off, you know, than all these fellows. And it's so difficult. So she spoke about increase in the number of child prodigies in every sphere. And they are going to surprise us and amaze us. They are the black sheep or the white sheep in every house. And they question us. They have X-ray vision. They ask us. You say that, you know, all these big things about God and all. What have you been doing in your life? You're telling lie. Dad, you're telling me that to tell somebody that I'm not at home? Is this the right thing to do? You give big lectures when you go to audiences? No, I, I, I have not experienced this, but I'm just... <laughs> this is not my experience, but I've heard people do that. And I have heard people say that, teacher get up and in, in uh, um, well, um, okay, ashram school where this incident took place when a teacher was a little harsh on uh, some student, usually they are very kind, they never do this and this particular teacher had a little habit of sometimes, you know, putting a little gatta on the head. So he did it to a student and this cheat of a boy suddenly says, Do you know you can be taken to the court and put behind bars for this act? He never, you know, this elderly man never imagined that somebody could say this to him. Do you know you could be put behind bars for this? Well, one is so used to authority. I am the boss. Another thing she told about the supramental action is youth unrest. They are not going to take authority for granted. Just because you are boss, just because you are big, you are parent, you are in this position, therefore you are right. No. Be rational, prove me why you are right. Tell me honestly, be authentic. If you are authentic, fine. 
When she was asked, what are the first things that supermind will drive out? She says, drive out? First she says, well, nothing because everything is that. Then she says, hypocrisy and artificiality. She says, this whole life is so artificial. And then she gives number of examples. Anybody who has a little money can lead a life which is successful. Even though inwardly he may be completely a dwarf inwardly. It is really true. And she says the whole organization of life is like that. Artificial. It's not to say that there are no genuine things. But large amount. And that's where she says most human beings are unaware of what goes on in their depths. And that is the only true thing. The only truth that takes place in the depth. Second thing, hypocrisy. So today's children really don't like this. They don't like shows and shams. Though still, you know, the Swamiji's who wear nice dresses and come and, you know, give a very impressionable little bit. You will see that elderly crowd goes. But today's children want something more authentic. They are not just deceived by appearances. It's a sign of a truth consciousness developing inside them. They know it and they stand for it. So these are some of the early effects. Then Sri says these changes will first declare themselves in thought and in the field of more subtle fields like psychology and in arts. Because these are the fields which are more open, they are more plastic fields. In the field of hardcore science, physical science, they will be probably the last to trickle down because it deals directly with matter. But the surprising thing is even there one sees the changes coming. And the last to change is politics and wealth. And strange that even there the changes are beginning to seep in. It's the other day when Hasmukhai was asking how many years and mother has said yes about 300 years but really the more I see, look around, I feel it's pressing much faster. And who knows this 300 may really be compressed to 30-40 years and the way things are moving with catastrophe and crisis and unfortunately through crisis. In, again in Savitri, when this boon is asked that please change this world. So this is what he has to say. Heaven's call is rare, rarer the heart that heeds, only in an hour of uplifting stress. Look at the line. Only in an hour of uplifting stress, men answer to the call of greater things. Or, raised by some strong hand to breathe heaven air, they slide back to the mud from which they climbed. And joy in safe return to a friendly base. Thank God home is over. Thank God we are out of Pondicherry. We can be now again you know, in a comfort zone. That heat and dust of Pondicherry at least is out. Samadhi is there but you know there are other things also. <laughs> and joy in safe return to a friendly base. The mud of which they are built. Whose law they know. For most are built on nature's average, nature's ordinary plan and owe small debt to a higher plane. To think what other think is to them the best. The human average is their highest pitch. So that's why 
Humanity is being pushed through doors of crisis. Every time we have a crisis, we have a conflict coming in the open. Every time we have a conflict, we are pressing towards a change. Crisis, conflict, change. That's what we see in Savitri. It's a story of this triple change. There is a crisis. What is the crisis? Satyavan must die. So if Satyavan must die, what are the possibilities? Call a doctor, try to put him on, you know, anti-cholesterol pills, try to put him on, find out what is his disease, try to manage all the outer conditions. This is the way human beings have worked so far. To change phenomena and exchange one illusion for another. That's what we do. And Shobindo says this erring race of human beings always tries to change things by the power of governance, by social and political changes. But it is only when you change within that you can really, no machinery can change. It is only by an inner change that we can have the outer change. And then he has this punchline, no power can save thee from the law of thy being. This, unless this change takes place, any outer change is simply exchanging one illusion for another. Some illusions may look good, other illusions may not look good, but it's only through an inner change. And this inner change, people are being pressed towards that simply because it has become a necessity. The only unfortunate part is how many more crises do we want to face. And this crisis can go on to any extent because once this super mind has descended, it doesn't care. This is a certainty. If it has to find its way, demolishing the entire humanity, it would do it. In Savitri, when the boon is asked, she says, If humanity is forever tied to its pain, let a greater being then arise from man. It's not going to leave. It's, it's that is the omnipotent and the omniscient fiat of the Supreme. It is up to us to respond to the call of evolution or the abyss. There was a message mother gave in 71 or maybe 70, well in the late 60s, early 70s where she gives this urgency. Men, countries, continents, the choice is imperative, truth or the abyss. Then she says, it is the hour of God. And then she says, are you ready? One of her last messages. So I'll read out a passage about what Mother has foreseen about this change. And maybe have more of question and answer. It's a very long journey. We have been speaking for the last uh, three days. <clears throat> this is This book, I think, will be... Uh, given to everybody. So if somebody is by chance leaving early, please uh, make sure to collect. It's a compilation from uh, Mother and Shirobindu's writings, primarily from the Mother's writings, A New World is Born, where she is, some of her visions, notes are there. <clears throat> this opens up roads of realization into the future. Possibilities which are already foreseen when an entire part of humanity, the one which has opened consciously or unconsciously to the new forces, is lifted up, as it were, into a higher, more harmonious, more perfect life. 
even if individual transformation is not always permissible or possible, there will be a kind of general uplifting, a harmonization of the whole, which will make it possible for a new order, a new harmony to be established and for the anguish of the present disorder and struggle to disappear and be replaced by an order which will allow a harmonious functioning of the whole. So this is what she has foreseen, one part about how the present order or the old world order which was based on the supremacy of reason and a very it had turned the world into a very neat symmetric world and it break with the children of the 60s just after the supramental descent who revolted against this neat symmetric world which was nothing but a uh, machinery for production and that has broken and now today every child kind of revolts and you know he wants his own way so this was the first step in that whole process now this old world has broken and the new world has not yet established itself completely so we see disorder and confusion but this disorder and confusion because all forces rush into that but this disorder and confusion mother is telling us is the passage towards a higher order more harmonious, more luminous. How long will this passage last? We do not know. 30 years, 40 years, 100 years, it is nothing when we see that evolution has taken place over billions of years. Then she says there will be other consequences which will tend to eliminate in an opposite way what the intervention of the mind in life has created. So it is going to undo some of the effects which mind has done. The perversions, the ugliness, the whole mass of distortions which have increased suffering, misery, moral poverty. So when we speak about evolution and there are all kinds of elements, we have to be very clear that the standard has to be set high and things have to be moved there and not that the standard has to be brought down to the level where you know everybody finds it acceptable and applicable because evolution is upward by its very nature it's an upward ascent it's not a gravitation in fact that whole thing is going to be eliminated and the mother repeatedly tells us a whole mass of human life an entire area of sordid and repulsive misery which makes a whole part of human life into something so frightful that must disappear this is what makes humanity in so many ways infinitely worse than animal life in its simplicity and the natural spontaneity and harmony that it has in spite of everything suffering in animals is never so miserable and sordid as it is in an entire section of humanity which has been perverted by the use of mentality exclusively at the service of egoistic needs. Instead of our mind turning towards the light and opening towards it, it has been at the service of purely our egoistic need. It's not a problem of materialism. Matter can also be turned at the service of the divine. But it's a problem of turning everything into a means to serve our ego. That's what we were starting with. There is a whole human view. We must rise above. 
So what should we do? What is she telling us? We must rise above, spring up into light and harmony or fall back down into the simplicity of a healthy, unperverted animal life. Does it sound like a prophecy? Mother says further, but those who cannot be lifted up, those who refuse to progress, will automatically lose the use of the mental consciousness and will fall back to a subhuman level. We see that happening. It's shocking and stunning. But is there a way? One understands very well that physical misery, the unequal distribution of the goods of this world could be changed. One can imagine economic and social solutions which could remedy this. But it is that misery, the mental misery, the vital perversion, it is that which cannot change, doesn't want to change. This talk is not written some early years, this is somewhere around 69 after the supramental descent and just around the time that the mother would go behind the earthly scene. And those who belong to this type of humanity are condemned in advance to disintegration. That part of humanity, of human consciousness, which is capable of uniting with the supermind and liberating itself will be completely transformed. It is advancing towards a future reality which is not yet expressed in its outer form. It's taking place inside. This urge for truth, this urge for light, this urge for a new kind of love, this need to go beyond the human frame, this seeking is expressing itself in inside human consciousness, but not yet in outer life. Many of us know that when we go back to the institutions or organizations where we work, this is one of the dilemmas, you know, yesterday very rightly, you know, it was pointed out, how does, what does one do? Because the institution and the organizations don't support this inner urge. In fact, they do everything to stifle it. So, inside one is one thing, outside it's not yet appearing because all the outer forces of the world are denying it. In fact, sometimes they deny it, sometimes they take another route and give other alternatives, even spiritually other alternatives. As, as we were saying yesterday, even ultimately denial of divine life upon earth. Maya, moksha, nirvana, all this is fine. But don't talk of this. So they are trying all means to stifle this new consciousness. That part of humanity, of human consciousness, which is capable of uniting with the supermind and liberating itself will be completely transformed. It is advancing towards a future reality which is not yet expressed in its outer form. The part which is closest to nature, to animal simplicity, will be reabsorbed into nature. We are recycling plastics. <laughs> whole section of humanity 
is ready to be recycled. To animal simplicity will be reabsorbed into nature and thoroughly assimilated. But the corrupted part of human consciousness which allows perversion through its misuse of the mind will be abolished. This type of humanity is part of an unfruitful attempt which must be eliminated. Dinosaurs are not the only poor fellows and it takes a moment for nature, means it can devise. Just as there have been other abortive species which have disappeared in the course of universal history. Certain prophets in the past have had this apocalyptic vision, but as usual things were mixed and they did not have together with their vision of the apocalypse, the vision of the supramental world which will come to raise up the part of humanity which consents and to transform this physical world. Now she is saying something very very powerful. Because all this is going to happen, this has been written in the destiny, book of destiny of earth. Whether we like it or not, whether we resist or don't resist, it's no more with human nature. In Savitri, in the boon, it says, even should a hostile force cling to its reign and man refuse his high fate, yet the hour shall come of the transcendent will. Because it's been decreed, it's not left to us. The choice is no more left to us. When somebody asks mother, mother... Uh, how much your work depends on us, he says, fortunately, it doesn't depend on you. <laughs> and people went on to ask funny things, mother, uh, what do you expect from us? She says, nothing. What should we expect from you? Everything. <laughs> then she says, then the person asks, do you think that humanity is fulfilling your expectations? She says, since I expect nothing, I cannot answer this question. <laughs> She had seen through the entire facade. We are very nice people, great people, good people and fantastic people. Mother and Shurabindu are also another human beings like us. But they had seen through the mask completely. All space becomes a single body, time a single look. This is the consciousness in which Shurabindu was dwelling much before even the ashram was formed. So, what to speak of the work? So, to give hope to those who have been born into it, into this perverted part of human consciousness, because it's very frightening, you know, because everybody has inside him or her some perversion and one would wonder, is there a hope for me? Am I belonging to that part which is going to wipe out? <laughs> so, she gives hope. She is the mother. So, what is the way? She says, so, to give hope to those who have been born into it, into this perverted part of human consciousness. They have taught redemption through faith. Very interesting. We have mocked at faith with the pride of the intellect. In essays on the Gita, Shurabindo, when he speaks of the avatar, he ends by saying, the fruits of the inner coming of the avatar are gained by those who can put their faith in him. It's very strange. The power of faith. So she says, 
those who have faith in the sacrifice of the divine inmate matter what will what is the faith which is required in fact if there is no divine there can be no redemption it's impossibility it's an illogical absurdity to say that okay now super mind force is there like you know the electrical force was there now we will do it all by ourselves and you know capture it and lay down our wires and cables and the supramental force will light up our electricity this human nature you know is can really go into strange kind of absurdities so the mother is telling us what is the faith which is required faith in the sacrifice of the divine in matter that the divine descends upon earth takes an human body will be automatically saved by faith alone this is the deeper meaning of this that if you have faith you will be saved it should, it's not a religion it's the fact that the divine has sacrificed himself and born like us therefore human beings can become divine this is the second part of the story his human nature we must put on as he put ours his human portion we must grow divine our life is a paradox with god for key this is the key if there is no god there is no key so here she is saying by faith alone she is qualifying because we human being will interpret so she is saying without understanding without intelligence she is not saying faith plus you need to you know be little wise man by faith alone without understanding without intelligence they have not seen the supramental world nor that the great sacrifice of the divine in matter is the sacrifice of involution which must culminate in the total revelation of the divine in matter itself they have not seen this sacrifice they have not seen the supramental world but simply by putting faith not by intelligence not understanding they can be saved i'll end this part with uh, lines from savitri and then we'll have some question answers <clears throat> i think narad had read these lines on the first day we can read it again thus will the mass transcendent mount his throne this world is the mast transcendent you and me and he and she and x and y and z are mast transcendent but who is seated on the throne ego so thus will the mast transcendent mount his throne when darkness deepens strangling the earth's breast and man's corporeal mind is the only lamp as a thieves in the night shall be the covertred the divine has a knack of entering as a thief and he has a knack of you know drums will be beaten somewhere but he will suddenly enter into a place where nobody even knows he will enter incognito in one of the places when shubhendu describes the psychic being he says an incognito of the imperishable death. 
The divine is inhabiting us incognito. Nobody knows that he is even there. Of one who steps unseen into his house, a voice ill heard shall speak, the soul obey. The mind cannot even understand, but something within us knows, sees, feels and walks. A power into mind's inner chambers steal automatically. The mind will be illumined by an intuitive ray. A charm and sweetness open life's closed doors and beauty conquer the resisting world. What a powerful line this is. Beauty conquer the resisting world. The truth light capture nature by surprise. A stealth of God compel the heart to bliss. The only reason why we can be happy is God stealing into our hearts. Stealth of God compel the heart to bliss and earth grow unexpectedly divine. It is a sudden, unexpected divinity springing forth. In matter shall be lit the spirit's glow. In body and body kindle the sacred birth. Night shall awake to the anthem of the stars. The days become a happy pilgrim march. Our will a force of the eternal's power. And thought the rays of a spiritual sun. If you shall see what none yet understands, in brackets but speaks about all of us, if you shall see what none yet understands, God shall grow up while the wise men talk and sleep. It also means when wise men talk, the audience sleeps. <laughs> and of course the wise men talk and sleep themselves. <laughs> so much humor in so much line. See, delight. We should not become too serious, you know, when we are eating. Shivindi is so full of joy, so full of light and delight. This is humor. God shall grow up. While the wise men talk and sleep. For man shall not know the coming till its hour. And belief shall be not till the work is done. So let the wise men stop talking. <laughs> and let us have any responses, sharings, questions, anything. Yes, please. Well, uh, looking uh, forward into the future, mm -hmm. one of the present uh, crisis, the energy crisis, and I work in the energy sector. Mm, good. Has uh, Mother Shabindo indicated anything about yes. uh, possible access to unlimited circular forms of energy, <coughs> other than the laborious way we get energy? Today? Yes, but even before we go to the subtle forms of energy, uh, the mother uh, told Udar that Today the energy is based on the, the nuclear energy which is one of the, you know, uh, kind of unlimited source of energy is based on the power of fission which is a typical asuric way. Asura acts by division. 
Wherever Asura comes in, he divides under some pretext or the other. So he splits the atom and releases the energy. So she says that the the uh, present world is based on the power of fission, but actually the energy should be solved by the power of fusion. What takes place in the sun and the solar energy and the energy from the sea. These are two potential sources of energy, very physical sources which world must explore. She was especially particularly, she spoke about the solar energy and in the ashram, Chamalalji did a lot of pioneer work on that and uh, this is one of the kinds of energy which one can directly access. The, uh, but the, pre the old world has drawn energy from the bowels, it has plundered the, you know, Trees is a typical Asuric way, whereas sun is an unlimited source of energy. If technology can evolve, I have a feeling that all this talk about, you know, being expensive and all is because research has not been put in that direction. Research has not been put in that direction because of a fundamental insincerity and the wealth balance. Because if really solar energy becomes accessible, then the entire economic and political balance of the world will change. So I have a strong feeling that all this thing that you know solar energy is very expensive and all is basically there is a deep uh, falsehood which wants not black money but money through what is that it's called black you know what black, black gold. whatever black gold yeah black gold because that has kept the entire balance of the world in a certain way. I don't want to specify further. If solar energy becomes more prominent, the entire balance of the world will shift. And shift in which direction we all know. The sad part is that even in India where sun is so much in excess, in Africa where sun is in excess, people have not, you know, taken so much pains to, because one is still mesmerized by his old thought. Again, the sea is a very potential source of energy which needs to be done. About the subtler forms of energy, there are indications, at least there is one letter of Sri where there is an indication that even the very matter may change and may become iridescent and it can actually draw energy directly. So we can say that the body supposing develops a solar chip. <coughs> she has also spoken of the present need to draw energy from food, which is a major problem for us human beings. You know, if we really look at our human constitution, it's horrible, you know, so much like an animal. What is this nonsense that every three hours we have to eat something, you know, to live? I mean, this is really ridiculous and absurd. I mean, one wishes that this goes away. Yes, cooking, if you see just about 50 years back or 30 years back, at least in an Indian household, there was so much time and energy spent only on food. From morning, you know, what food is to be made, where is to be picked up from, then the, you know, chula to clean it. Whole day was food. What a horrible thing, you know. Today, we can, you know, process it much faster. But mother also spoke of a kind of food which will be, she spoke of the experiment which is being done probably, you know, with regard to the space missions, that the need for this kind of a food which, you know, you have to take in bulk will disappear and with a small quantity of food you can draw the energy just as a material medium. The problem with food is that when we take food, we absorb a lot of unconsciousness along with the food. 
whether we take a plant product or an animal product. But there is a difference that when we take a pure plant product, we take only the vital physical layer of consciousness because plants represent that. So vital physical layer is only that layer which nourishes matter and makes it alive. So it's healthy. The moment you take non-vegetarian food, you also absorb the lower vital consciousness, fear, rage, anger, suspicion, etc. So for, of course, for maybe for a warrior class, you need that kind of, you know, claws and teeth. But, <laughs> but basically, that's why vegetarian food is definitely better even from a consciousness perspective. Uh, yeah. Just, uh, just one mention, same thing talking about food. In yoga therapy says, yogi eats once a day. Yeah. Hogi eats twice a day. Yes. Rogi eats throughout the whole Throughout the whole day. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's right. So, ways and means to draw energy directly are going to be developed and uh, I mean there are instances, mother used to even, she used to speak of Madam Teo who would just take an apple or a flower and keep on a stomach and directly draw the energy and it would shrivel up. So definitely there are channels existing which no need to open up and will open up uh, by the power of the supermind and hopefully Tomorrow's children will be free from this obsession to food despite the McDonald's and the KFC trying to lure them. <laughs>